Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot by with Hutton and Withrow underway. The Friday edition is upon us. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network, which includes this great radio partner and you're watching live, streaming live on YouTube or on demand on all of the social media platforms. Hope you'll subscribe, pound that like button, share the broadcast, join chat in the chat, and much more. Jam-packed today to get you ready for your football weekend. Barrett Salee, college football reporter, insider, columnist for CBS Sports 24-7. He will be with us in 20 minutes. The biggest news and notes going into the big weekend, Texas and Bama, and much more, including Mac Brown, which we'll hit on in a moment. Michael Fabiano is your fantasy football guru. He's with us each and every Friday. He joins us in about 40 minutes. Uh, we've got great bets for you uh, and through PointsBet, Outkick.com slash bet, and with Kelly in Vegas. Her top picks, and we'll follow her parlay as well, uh, suggestions at least, that's coming up uh, later in the show. Plus, Mike Gunzelman of Outkick.com. The Gun Show is here. Chad Withrow's got your top 10 games for your college football weekend that you can't miss. Chad, good afternoon. Hutton, I feel very confident in my ability to pick top 10 games the college football weekend. I have zero confidence in my sports betting ability right now. That's why we go to Kelly in Vegas, it's Kelly Stewart. It's a must. So she can give us winners because I'm going to be honest, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not winning a lot lately. And uh, I'm, I'm really shaken to my core and not sure how to continue without the advice of an expert like Kelly. This is college or NFL right now. Well, both. Yeah. I just last night should have taken, I, I bet before the Kelsey news was official. I bet before your stats about taking the under in week one, the under and I won one bet. The I, under hit. I took, you're going to love this one, Hutton. I took Louisville against Murray state. Okay. Uh, 54 was the over-under. Louisville won 56 to nothing. <laughs> so I got that cover. And then I took the over, and I missed it by 12 points. I think it was 53 was the over-under, and it was 21 to 20. So missed that one by 12. And it just continues a string of, of losses. I'm, I'm doing away with parlays. I'm just going back to just one bet at a time. Seeing how I do, get an overall record weekend. going. It's week two. Well, it's going to be a winning weekend because Kelly in Vegas is going to come on and tell us what to bet to win. I'm also going to tell Kelly where she's wrong, though, <laughs> on one of these games. Not afraid to do that, even with my lack of confidence. We were wrong to head towards Arrowhead and pick Kansas City last night. That's where we start with our top headlines of the day. 21-20, the Lions go to Kansas City and get the victory. And they had to do it the long, hard way. But they came to play. And props to Detroit. Let's start there before we go in on KC and some of the issues. The Lions have been the talk of the offseason, winning the way they did towards the end of the year and uh, doing it through the consistency of Jared Goff last year, not throwing an interception over a final 350-plus uh, pass attempts. He, he continues that run uh, with what we saw last night. The addition of Jameer Gibbs, albeit... Uh, in, in limited action compared to what we may have thought he would be. He touched the ball, what, nine times, I believe. And uh, no mistakes for the most part. 
and they went to Arrowhead and won. Chad, this is, uh, this is hard to do. And they did it against Mahomes, who didn't have Kelsey. The defense didn't have Jones. And Kadarius Toney didn't have hands to catch the football last night. But the Lions had to play aggressive. Some of that paid off. Some of it didn't, but they held firm. And that's a nice win for a club that, that believes. Believes they're, they're at the top of their division right now with a, a surefire chance to win the NFC North. They look like the, the, a team that can do that last night. Well, I'm glad Dan Campbell postgame said that was expected, what just happened with that win in Kansas City, because no one else really expected it. Regardless of what Mike Tirico said, I'll get into this a little bit more later about there's an asterisk by the win for Detroit. That's, that's BS. Um, yes, they were without two of their better players, but even without two of their better players, I didn't see a lot of people picking the lines because what was all the talk? Full offseason to prepare, Patrick Mahomes in week one at home, defending Super Bowl champion, Andy Reid is a superior coach who will have a better game plan ready in this one. And all Detroit did was go in there, physically win the game up front, and pulled out an enormous win for that franchise in front of a bunch of Lions fans, uh, which shocked me to see that many Lions fans on the road at Arrowhead. They've got a waiting list for season tickets at Ford Field for the first time ever. This is an exciting story, and it's a team that I don't think it's just a bunch of blustering when they talk about how much they believe and how this was expected. I think Dan Campbell has gone in there, and he has got guys in his image in his level of toughness that do believe. And I'm watching Jared Goff last night, and I'm not going to say, you know, one game and he's some game changer or anything, but those were a couple of game-changing throws he made late in that game on a third and long, uh, one where he fit in, I have no idea, like a puzzle piece deep down the field. Yeah, that was third and 12 from he's the 22-yard yeah, line. Yeah, he's got Josh Reynolds looking like an all-pro receiver, a guy who was terrible right here in Nashville with the Titans. Very impressed with this Detroit Lions team and, and impressed they went in there and got that win last night. Well, that was the play of the game. That Goff stepping up, pressure coming off the edge on the blitz. It's 20-14 to 14 at the time. KC had just had to settle for a field goal. And it's 3rd and 12. Goff made a, a crazy throw and was able to thread it straight to Reynolds. And they end up getting not just the first down there, they then hit Reynolds again on the catch and run, and eventually we see Montgomery score the touchdown. They go up 21-20, and again, at the time, uh, it was about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. To me, that's the play of the game. After that, Tony had a, his third drop on a big third down uh, miscue, and Detroit still had to play aggressive, but when they needed a play on a third and long, Goff was able to produce that as well. They went for it. I, I go back to the Chargers and how aggressive they play against Kansas City, you know, going forward on fourth down quite a bit. Detroit in the first quarter goes with the fake punt from their own 17-yard line. Yeah. And they get the first down. Uh, a fourth down attempt late in the fourth with, what, three minutes left. Fourth that and gets, two. That gets stuffed. Or, excuse me, that was tipped at the line. It was batted down, yeah. But they also tried to run behind their offensive line at one point and got stuffed. Uh, uh, Brian Branch had the interception return for a touchdown. You had to have a lot of things go right. And that's the, even without Kelsey and Jones, to go to Arrowhead and win, you have to just play fundamental, fundamentally sound, not mistake-free. You've got to create your own chances, though. And you have to have some help. And Tony gave them that. Three massive drops, none bigger than the big third down miss. 
Eventually, it was fourth and 20, incomplete, and that's all she wrote. Yeah, that was uh, – well, there was a, a third down miss. There was – I may have been on first down also. The, one of them would have been a touchdown on, yeah. that, on that second last drive. I the two biggest plays of the day, that Reynolds catch, the throw from Goff that was spectacular that we talked about, and then the drop – by Tony, where if he just catches it and turns up field, yeah, I think he's scoring a touchdown. Chris Collinsworth on the call said there was no confidence in that even attempt to catch the ball. That was a lack of confidence attempt. Well, he dropped it. And then what happened? The very next play, they actually picked up what would have been a first down. It was called back for holding. Yeah, on the next play after the drop. Yeah, yep. you're right. Lack of confidence. And they, there was the I, little timing route, the little mesh route where they were crossing, and it was just thrown. Maybe a tick too early, and it yeah. got in the, the line of sight of Tony on one of them. Remember that late, late yes. in the game, also that would have been a big big pickup. Just little things that are off. And you, certainly, I mean, it was it, tell, impactful to not have Kelsey no in there offensively. You, you can tell it, things are just a bit uh, discombobulated. And what did I say yesterday? I said they're going to have to actually draw plays now. Well, they do for the that receivers. are going to be well timed. But they, Mahomes because, and Kelsey don't have to do that because yeah, because but when they get in trouble, third down, fourth down, he's yes. looking for Travis Kelsey. And but the, I was thinking the, about the that shots on that, on, of Kelsey on the sideline were great, that too. That third down miss where the timing was just a bit off, where the players crossed in front of each other and the one receiver got in the line of sight of the other incomplete. That, that I was thinking back to what we talked about yesterday and said, that's the one. You've got to get timed up perfectly. Yes. And in a perfect world with a fully healthy Travis Kelsey, they're not even worried about it because they're targeting him on that third down play and probably picking it up. Really good uh, game, top to bottom, last night for the NFL. Lots of fun. Uh, uh, to kick off week one. We'll preview more of that coming up. Uh, Joe Burrow, he's back at practice. He's going to play this week against the Browns, and he plays this week against Deshaun Watson, who has the fully guaranteed contract. The highest-paid player in NFL history is now Joe Cool, Joe Burrow. Uh, agreement with the Bengals that was reported uh, yesterday, right as we went off air, five years, $275 million extension, 219 guaranteed. That makes him the highest paid player. Of course, the fully guaranteed money, uh, you can still uh, look towards Watson, but it's Burrow uh, with the total contract that goes well above anyone else and props because he's deserving of it. And now the Bengals not only have their quarterback for the long term, and there's, by the way, this was handled perfectly on both sides. Didn't really hear anything <coughs> behind the scenes. He had the injury. Many thought that before he came back from the injury to practice, this would be wrapped up, and he gets it done on the eve of kicking off week one, so there's no distractions going into the season. You just knew the timing, you know, how they were going to slot the different quarterbacks. It was whoever was going to be next would then be the highest paid, and it always made sense that Burrow was going to be the last one up, and now they get it done, and Cincinnati, a franchise notoriously cheap and low rent, now has the highest paid player in the sport. And it's an annual value of $55 million that puts him highest paid. The total value of the contract, number one, is Patrick Mahomes. Of course, that's scattered over a 10-year deal. Um, and number two, and fully guaranteed at $230 million, is Deshaun Watson. And it's put up or shut up time now for that contract in Cleveland after what was a disaster based on the way he played last year. They're expecting him to play the way he did in his final year in Houston. Chad, uh, you had mentioned uh, earlier this week, we got down the path of Corso on College Game Day and uh, possible replacements at some point, who you would look to for, for, to fill that seat. 
you mentioned Mac Brown. Yep. And at the time, I'm thinking uh, maybe, you know, and I, I, I mentioned Spurrier, and we threw around some other names. But after the way he went off on the NCAA, I would, I'd love to see him on college game day tomorrow, immediately, uh, for, for bashing the NCAA and, and given the fact that they're not going to have Devontae Walker, who was denied eligibility for the upcoming season, the current season for North Carolina, who failed in his appeal to the, the collegiate oversight committee. And he did not hold back with the statement and the letter that he sent out yesterday. No, I mean, he went totally uh, scorched earth segment here. Go scorched earth on, on the entire NCAA. said he's never felt worse about an individual, about um, a, a governing body, anything than th- with this decision. And the program, it, he was originally denied in earlier this offseason, and they fought the decision. North Carolina did. Uh, they pointed to a number of things. Given the fact that he's coming from Kent State, uh, his eligibility struggle was um, outside of some things in his life, injuries, COVID-19, uh, and, and just how things have been governed uh, from the collegiate aspect. He went to he started at ETSU, then he ends up at Kent State, and it's this double transfer part of, part of all this that is, is the hang-up. But um, it's just the timing. Uh, he enrolled two days um, in December. He committed in, uh, in December and then enrolled on January 9th. And then right after that is when the NCAA... Uh, had their new adjustment to the policy of transfers. Well, meanwhile, JT Daniels is at a sixth school, so it's just inconsistent on, on some of this stuff. Here's the exact line from the, the statement from Mac Brown. I don't know. It doesn't get it much stronger than these sentences. I don't know that I've ever been more disappointed in a person, a group of people, or an institution than I am with the NCAA right now. It's clear that the NCAA is about process, and it could not care less about the young people it's supposed to be supporting. Plain and simple. The NCAA has failed Tez and his family, and I've lost all faith in its ability to lead and govern our sport. They've messed so many things up as it relates to college football, and now their failures have negatively impacted the life of one of our own. He ends his statement, Hutton, by saying, Shame on you, NCAA. Shame on you. All caps. In an official statement from Mac Brown, he goes all caps at the end of this, and he becomes yet another in a long line of coaches and commissioners that start to hint about a different governing body over the highest level of college football that's needed, and it's not the NCAA. How much of this from the NCAA part of this is about their plea for federal guidelines on the portal itself on name image likeness and trying to show that they they're enforcing part of what they're arguing for even though they took a step back from it two years ago right like the, the more or less what we saw from senator tuberville uh, and uh, former coach tuberville is basically the guidelines that were in place before the ncaa decided to be a beta in leadership and before they decided they didn't want to be sued. Yeah, it's just and, it's it's very inconsistent how they will be a they'll take a beta mindset with certain things and feel and do this. Well, I want the government to figure it out because we've been shut down by the Supreme Court. And then in this instance where it would be so simple just to sign off and say, Oh, the kids at North Carolina wants to play there, whatever, let them play. 
and instead says, no, we're going to not stamp this. You can't play this year. So they put their foot down in one instance, and then they play the role of the beta in every other instance, which I think confuses Mac Brown and everyone else. Hutton, the one big response from a lot of people that, you know, they want to criticize Mac Brown now for saying this, and they're not wrong. The NCAA is simply administering rules that your school, being one of them, approved. University of North Carolina is a part of this charter with the NCAA. These are all rules written in. They're just simply enforcing the rules that you wrote. So if you want to send a letter to someone, send it to your chancellor of your own university to send this out, that we're no longer playing ball with the NCAA and they can't govern anymore because they're the ones who set the rules. I understand that, but let's all be completely upfront about this. They've been playing loose with the rules for a while now. They do whatever's convenient to them, and the inconsistency is what's got to change. They want the perception of being in charge. Absolutely, and that's what Mac Brown is saying. They're not fit to run it anymore. They're not fit to govern. Barrett Salee, fit to preview the top games across college football. We'll ask him about Mac Brown's comments as well about the NCAA. Salee joins us next on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. We are just getting started on your Friday edition. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Coming up, Michael Fabiano joins us with the latest on fantasy football. Kicking off that uh, for your leagues. Kelly in Vegas with the top bets of the weekend. A bit later, the gun show. Mike Gunzelman joins us in studio from Outkick.com. Right now, we preview the college football weekend. Barrett Salee joins us 24-7 CBSSports.com analyst. Always great to have you on, Barrett. Hope things are well, man. Things are good, man. College football season is here. And, uh, hey, you know, five straight days of football last weekend uh, didn't take a toll on me at all because Monday night was uh, quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, no no doubt. Cannot beat it. Um, from just <laughs> sheer intrigue, from where you sit, are you more intrigued to see how Colorado follows up last week hosting Nebraska or Texas on the road against Bama? Uh, it's Texas, Alabama. You know, I look, I, nothing against what Dion did and what what Colorado did. I think we were all surprised about that. But I, I think there's this sort of I, I don't know if you guys you know are getting this the sense either. But like it feels like there's this sudden push for Colorado to not just make a bowl game, but to to be a threat. And that's just not what they are. I mean, look, I, they've got superstars, a few of them but they don't have the depth. So I'm excited to see what happens against Nebraska. I don't think that they're going to have much issue with Nebraska because Nebraska's offense is terrible, but I think we need to pump the brakes on them being anything more than a bowl team. And I think that would be a tremendous, tremendous feat in Dion's first year uh, for Texas getting Alabama when they get them, I think is, is far more interesting because the Texas is back narrative has been around what for 15 years now. And at some point it's going to be true. I want to see what this team does because this team actually could be the one that is back based on the personnel that they have and 
and, and all that. So I'm far more interested in that because to me, if Texas can beat Alabama, then Texas is a college football playoff contender. Uh, whereas with Colorado, Nebraska, if Colorado wins, it's still a cute little story and, not, and nothing more than that. Yeah, and, and it, it was a story of last weekend with Colorado's win. And I keep coming back to this, Bear. What, what is the, the ratio of Colorado's better than expected with TCU maybe a lot worse than we expected with all they lost from last year's team? And were they just overhyped and overrated? And Colorado really is more of what we thought, but maybe a little better. And then you try to throw Nebraska in the mix. That really should have gone on the road and won at Minnesota, but yeah. they nebraska it in the end and found a way yeah. to lose. Yeah, I think everything you just said is right. Um, Colorado's a little better. They're well coached. They've got, I, I don't think any of us knew how good Travis Hunter would be in game one. And I don't think anybody thought Shadur Sanders could do that as a quarterback, but they did. Uh, they did it to TCU, which I think what exactly what you said is correct. Uh, TCU a little bit overrated, but go back and look at, at what TCU actually was last year. Not to say they didn't deserve to be in the college football playoff national championship. They did but they won by the skin of their teeth every single week in October. They've lost three of their last four games due pretty much because of that defense. So the defense struggled against Colorado. At some point, you have to sit there and say, okay, look, the identity of TCU had something to do with what happened against Colorado. And it's something that has continued, you know, even late towards the end of last season. They've lost three out of four games for a reason, and that is the defense. And with Nebraska, yeah, if Colorado beats Nebraska, we're going to have all the hoopla all over again. But I've said from the beginning, I like Matt Rule. I think he can turn Nebraska around. But he made two massive mistakes in the offseason, hiring Marcus Satterfield to run his offense and convincing Jeff Sims to be his quarterback after Jeff Sims was remarkably average to slightly below average for three years in Atlanta. So I think right now – if Colorado goes out in their home opener and beats Nebraska by double digits, which probably will happen, there will be even more hype behind Colorado and not enough, enough attention on the fact that Nebraska just isn't that good yet. Has the business and the culture of college football passed Dabo Sweeney by? H have we seen the last of Clemson as not a, not as a really good team, but as a national top four, top five power uh, just based on recent results, but also a lot of the comments coming from Dabo. Yeah, I mean, as far as being a national championship caliber team every single year, yes. Um, you know, the, the NIL stuff, Dabo is very, very late to the game on that. I think he's reluctantly fell in line now, and, and that's helping. But it might be too little too late because I think at the same time, we might be seeing Dabo be exposed as more a product of Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence rather than a top two or three coach in the country. And that's okay. You still have to get those guys on campus. That's fine. But you combine that with a, an offense against Duke, like I, Garrett Riley was supposed to be the savior, right? You go back and look at that game plan against Duke. They wouldn't let Cade Klubnick throw. And that is so bizarre to me because you have the receivers Cade's got a big arm, and clearly what the game plan was is not working. Guys, I wrote a, a, a halftime piece in our live blog update. The only 10-yard or more completion they had in the first half was an 18-yarder to Mario Williams, uh, and it was on the last play of the first half when Duke was playing prevent. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, like, what are we even doing here? So I think that Dabo's 
kind of being exposed for being a really good coach, not an elite coach. And at the same time, he's fighting an uphill battle because he did adopt a lot of the NIL principles a little too late. Barrett Salee with us, CBS Sports College football analyst. Barrett, are you a believer in Jalen Milrow? Are you a believer in Quinn Ewers? I'm a believer in Quinn Ewers, yeah. I think Quinn Ewers um, is, he's got a ton of weapons around him, but he's every bit the, the kind of guy who can go at you, go out and win a game on his own. I don't know if Jalen Milrow's that guy. He might be, but what we saw last week was Middle Tennessee, and he didn't have to do any of that stuff. You know, they, they wanted to get him comfortable. They did, and I didn't think he would be able to do what he did last week, but that was... Uh, that was not by necessity. And I think Quinn Ewers can, against Alabama last year, what, 146 yards in the first quarter? Yeah. Um, he had to do that, and he did it. And and so we know he can do that. Jalen Milrow, you go back and watch, um, you know, some of his throws, and, and Cole Kublick, you know, our good friend from SEC Network and ESPN and, and Jocks, uh, had a great breakdown on his SEC, SEC Network show saying, look, some of the, some of the passes that Jalen Milrow made and connected on and were – viewed as highlights really weren't proper reads and really weren't fundamentally sound. So the jury for me is still out on if Jalen can be a difference maker uh, when he has to, but certainly he's got the talent and he showed the talent that he possesses against middle Tennessee. And look, if you're Alabama, that's kind of what you wanted to see. And that's kind of all you needed to see and all you were available to see based on the opponent. We could, it's easy to say a win for Texas tomorrow is big. But if we take that a layer or two deeper, what does that really do for Texas's football program, for Sarkeesian, for Ewers and others? What would a win in Tuscaloosa mean as far as impact on the program? No, it validates everything. It validates everything that Steve Sarkeesian has been building. And I don't think folks realize Texas made a pretty significant step in year two last year under Sark. So going into Alabama and, and beating the Crimson Tide would validate even further, the job he's done, the construction project that he's been, you know, trying to, to lay the foundation for the last couple of years. And then it would give him momentum going into the SEC. I mean, if you're Texas and you beat Alabama tomorrow, what do you say for the rest of the year? You say, okay, national championship might not be there, but we went in and slayed the dragon. We know it's possible. And we're going to be heading up against that team every other year for the next, you know, generations of your lives. So, it would be it would be huge uh, to do it in the last year that Texas is in the Big 12. It would be huge to to get that Texas's back moniker, you know, off their backs a little bit and, you know, to set themselves up in a position where they potentially could contend for a national championship this year. So it would validate everything that Sarka has put together in Austin. And and I think that's something that the program has desperately needed and been waiting for since 2009. So with that statement from Mac Brown about the NCAA, Barrett, <laughs> is he trying to lobby for future czar of college football status, or is he trying to lobby for future replacement of Lee Corso on ESPN College Game Day status with how hard he went at the NCAA with that one? Is the answer yes? It probably <laughs> yes. is yes. Yes. Go. I mean, I've never seen a coach go that they'll go that deep. Like when he said shame on you, shame on you in all caps in the press release, I was like, dang, is this a message board post? Because this is amazing. <laughs> um, so look, I don't think many coaches could get away with that. A, because Mac Brown's like the nicest dude ever. But B, he's not going to be, you know, coaching forever. He's pretty old. So, you know, why not go out scorched earth? So, yeah, uh, lobbying. I would say more lobbying for the czar of college football. But I would say above anything else, he's just mad and he doesn't care. 
you know, he, he's just mad and he feels like he can get away with stating whatever opinion he has as strongly as he can. And, and he did it. So man, I, you know, I, it's, it's a terrible situation. If you know, Tez Walker's path, he should be eligible. I don't think there's any doubt he should be eligible. Um, and, and it goes back to something that I've said for a very long time that every school, every professional franchise, hell, every organization in any, in any market with any product should have a vice president of common sense. Somebody who just sits in the room quietly, ideally doesn't say a word about anything, but when there's a bad idea brought up, essentially they throw the flag. They're like, nah, nah, don't do this. Don't do this. The NCAA needs somebody like that. And also like the NCAA at this point, what, what are they? They're a governing body that has no power, but they do have power over eligibility and they're going to hold on to that as long as they can until it becomes, until they become obsolete. When, and that's going to happen in the next five or 10 years. I've never been to a game at Tulane, but I'm assuming this will be one of the more hyped Tulane games yeah. that we've seen at home when Ole Miss comes to town tomorrow. Barrett, what is that game going to look like when you look at both of these teams and their styles of play? Uh, very similar in terms of styles of play. I think there's going to be a lot of Ole Miss fans there because why wouldn't you go to New Orleans if you can, if you have the opportunity to? Uh, but it's a huge Tulane, uh, game for Tulane, obviously, as well. I think with, with that, you know, you guys saw last week with Ole Miss, you know, against Mercer, the defense looked really good. That's Mercer, obviously. But if they can look average against Tulane and Michael Pratt, that's enormous for Ole Miss because playing average defense against a really good offense instantly makes you a contender, not only in the SEC West, but the SEC and potentially a New Year's Six Bowl because that's all you need to be against any opponent. And Tulane's offense is, is really darn good. So uh, it would be it would be huge. I know the, the offenses are going to sort of dominate the headlines, and, and they're both great. Don't get me wrong. But if if you can just look adequate defensively, if you're Ole Miss under first year coordinator Pete Golding, you are headed in a in the right direction. It's not just a small step forward; it's a giant leap forward for a team that I think, from an offensive standpoint, has plenty of talent to uh, to do a lot of uh, fun, interesting, and creative things if they get into big games. And Chad, just to further, I mean, if they lose this game to Tulane, they've got Georgia oh. Tech, and then they have a gauntlet with uh, Alabama, mm -hmm. LSU, uh, Arkansas, and then at Auburn, and that. We it's not the same schedule as last yeah. year for Lane Kiffin. No, and A and M one of those games. That's the next game I want to talk about, Barrett. Uh, that that's left for Ole Miss. Proof of concept for Deion Sanders at least for one game and what he did this offseason. A lot of points put on the board against a bad opponent for Bobby Petrino's offense in one game. Here's a chance for proof of concept against a really good defense in Miami. What do you like about this matchup between A and M and Miami? Well, I love the fact that it's ba they're basically the same teams, right? Both have first-year offensive coordinators. Both have quarterbacks who have a lot of upside. Both are trying to figure out an offensive identity. Both have pretty good defenses. Both have fan bases that are starved, and both have resources that can get them into the national championship picture. So uh, to, I've heard a lot of Texas A&M fans. Texas A&M fans hate me because I tell them <laughs> the truth instead of you know uh, reaffirming what they already think is the truth. And um, I, I think, to me, yeah, Bobby Petrino, the, everything worked last week against New Mexico. It's because it was New Mexico. And that's not to say that Texas A&M can't get things right or Bobby Petrino won't get things right. But nothing about game one validates that one way or the other. You know, a lot of the conversation about Petrino and Jimbo is that, well, what happens when Bobby Petrino doesn't do something that Jimbo likes? Well, Jimbo or uh, Bobby Petrino called all the good plays on Saturday. What if he calls two bad ones? Then what happens? And 
So I'm, I'm excited about it. I hope it's more than uh, more exciting than 17 to nine, like it was last year. But I think more likely than not, the winner of this game is going to have a much better gauge about where they are as a program. And both might, if it's a close game and, and it's a shootout, they both might be really happy about where things are. So uh, I'm excited about it. I, you know, I think defensively both have pretty good defenses. I'd be surprised though, if Miami's defense doesn't sort of rule the day, because I think that team is vastly underrated. I think they're going to struggle. Uh, I mean, uh, a and is going to struggle to move the football. I don't trust Connor Wegman. I don't trust their running backs yet, uh, but I'm excited to see it. It's one of the, those games where you kind of like circled on the calendar before the season. You didn't know how exciting it was going to be or how important it's going to be, uh, but it should be a lot of fun. Barrett, we only have time for just the answer on the game, but is there a sneaky good game that we should not overlook this weekend? Notre Dame versus NC State. Okay. NC State's got good defense. Notre Dame's got Sam Hartman. Barrett Salee's got you covered on all things college football. CBS Sports college football analyst and expert. Uh, great follow on social. Great guy overall. Barrett, thanks for the time, man. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one. Enjoy the weekend. Some great matchups. I thought you'd go Auburn two. Cal on that one. That was Auburn my expectation. Cal is, That's a sneaky good one. Yeah, if you can stay awake, which we will. We you will. will. I will. I will not. We will be awake. <laughs> I'll see a, a bit of it. I'll see a quarter. Coming up, stardom, sit em. Michael Fabiano, the fantasy football expert, joins us next to help you going into week one of the NFL fantasy football season. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here on the Outkick Network. Hope you subscribe to the channel on YouTube. If you're listening uh, to this great radio partner, we say thank you. Chad, we, we're in the Fantasy League here with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We all are. All the staff. Um, how'd you feel about the draft earlier this week? I felt okay. Uh, I came we out of talked it. About this. Usually, like I'm, I'm very down or very up on my team, but I, I came out of it feeling like eh, 16 team league. Yeah. So it gets pretty thin by Not the bad. end of end of your roster. Pretty thin at tight end. I think I'm starting Dalton Kincaid. We're gonna ask the next guest if that's a good move or not, but yeah. it was the best that I could do. But outside of that, it eh, just okay. You know what's better than okay? The bookcase NFL helmet oh, setup of our next excellent. guest. I it's am excellent. so jealous of this setup. And it's set up perfectly with the matchups of the week. So jealous. Michael Fabiano joins a Sports Illustrated senior fantasy analyst. He's joining us weekly here on Outkick. Michael, uh, great to see you, man. And I'm with Chad. The, the background is awesome with the helmet matchups for the week. Yeah, man. I, I've actually had that for a couple of years now. And it goes all the way across to the other side. You can't see because of the camera angle. And below... The helmets that are in the matchups are also some old school, like throwback type helmets. I'll have to give you guys the entire tour at some point. I love that. Um, yeah. Because there's 
50 helmets. I'd, I'd love to get the tour. Is there a TV on that wall somewhere, or is it across from you, or is the TV in it's a different across, room? It's across from me. Okay. Yeah, it's on the side. See, That's if there right. was a TV in the middle of that, oh. it maybe even if there wasn't, I would sit in front of those helmets all weekend <laughs> and just sip old fashions and just look at those helmets with absolute joy. That's how excited I get, especially seeing the old school Tampa Bay Buccaneers helmet. Yes, behind him right now. I've got it makes some, me very happy. I've got some real good old school ones. I've got the old school Broncos one from the '60s. It's my favorite. Uh, the, the the powder blue Oilers helmet. Uh, I've got a lot of good ones. Michael Fabiano's got some great advice for you as well. Um, let's just recap a bit from last night. Should fantasy owners with Jameer Gibbs be uh, skeptical? Should they be concerned based on the uh, amount, uh, the volume or the lack thereof of production and the ball in his hands? I think he's got to see more work in, in the weeks to come. Remember, this was his first game in the NFL in a hostile environment. With that being said, I mean, I've said it. I never thought he was worth a third round pick and even a fourth round pick was pushing it. The Lions gave David Montgomery a good amount of money and he's their starter. And we saw that in the game last night, he was the guy who got the lion's share of the work. Now, Jameer Gibbs is a good back. There's been a lot of comparisons to Alvin Kamara uh, on the field, and he's going to end up popping uh, several times during the course of the season. But David Montgomery is not going away, and that ultimately is going to hurt Gibbs' ceiling. Rasheed Rice, is he the best bang for your buck if you had him in a draft late? I wish I had a dartboard around here because I put every Chiefs wide receiver in it and start throwing darts. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Honestly, like, I, I last night we all were thinking this was going to be the Sky Moore breakout game. Yes. He scored four-tenths of a point. Kadarius Tony had cinder blocks for hands. He couldn't catch. Rasheed Rice just happened to get it open in the end zone, and Mahomes found him. It's going to be like it was last year and maybe worse. It's going to be a guessing game every single week among the Chiefs wide receivers. Ultimately, I think Sky Moore will be the best player, but will he be a consistent fantasy option based on last night? I think right now the answer is no. I know one thing. The Chiefs need Travis Kelsey back, and so yeah. do fantasy managers. No doubt. I got Rasheed Rice very late in our draft Congrats. that we just talked about. and Well, he's on my bench. I did, uh, not, uh, I did not start him, and I didn't even consider <laughs> starting him. Uh, hopefully the guys I started will do better. One of those guys I started, I've already brought him up, so I want to ask about him because he's another rookie. Uh, Dalton Kincaid with the Bills at tight end. Do you see him being a possible touchdown thief for this Bills team, the way they're going to utilize him? How, how do you view him in this rookie year? He's got as good a shot as anybody to be the best rookie tight end, although Sam Laporta kind of staked his claim last night, but it is only one game. Uh, he's going to play the slot. Uh, he's, a, he's a move guy. He's not a blocker, so he's going to run a lot of routes, which is great. Uh, am I starting Dalton Kincaid in week one? I mean, I, I think you could probably do a little bit better among rookies. I mean, I like Luke Musgrave with what's going on in Green Bay. Uh, Christian Watson's not going to play. Romeo Dobbs is banged up. He's questionable. So there's some other options I'd prefer. I will say this. If you have Darren Waller, who is now questionable for Sunday night, it's not good when a player goes on the injured list on Friday, especially with a hamstring. Uh, you may want to be looking at picking up Dalton Kincaid as insurance in case Waller can't go on Sunday night. Michael Fabiano with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here across the Outkick Network. Let's get to the stardom and sit -em, starting with the starts, your, your must-starts. Is it safe to say any quarterback that will face the Rams' defense is a must-start, and that's where we start with Geno Smith this week? Geno's a really good start. I don't think he's a must-start. Uh, a lot of people probably have a better quarterback on their roster, but if you don't, He's certainly worth it. The Rams are going to be bad this year. The defense, obviously, with 
uh, trading away Jalen Ramsey, who now is not playing for the Dolphins because of any injury. They're just not going to be a good team. And the Seahawks looks like they're going to have their full complement of wide receivers there. Jackson Smith and Jigba supposed to be uh, back and good to go. So Geno's a good play. Uh, running back, I like J.K. Dobbins. He's healthy. There's no limitations in terms of snaps. He's playing the worst run defense in the league. At least they were last year in the Houston Texans. So J.K. Dobbins is a really good play this week. Jahan Dotson is a good play as a flex. Now, Terry McLaurin is going to play this week. Remember, he had gotten hurt in preseason, and there were some reports that he might miss the start of the year. Doesn't look like that's the case anymore. He's been pulled off the injury report, but I still like Dotson, who's a sleeper darling type from a fantasy perspective. Chris Godwin, a lot of questions about the Bucks wide receivers because no Tom Brady, it's Baker Mayfield. But this could be a very good thing for him in terms of the game script, which I think the Buccaneers will be playing from behind. And let's be honest, the Vikings, as good as they were last year, record-wise, their defense was awful, yeah. especially against the pass. And then finally, if you need a tight end, Tyler Higby's a pretty good play. No Cooper Cup. Uh, the, we've already heard Matthew Stafford's wife come out and say, well, Matthew's not really gaining a rapport with his young players. I'm not sure he really wanted that to become public. But Tyler Higby is certainly a guy he's got a rapport with, and the Seahawks were bad against tight ends last year. So Tyler Higby is a player to uh, certainly at least think about starting in the top eight or top ten this week if you don't have a great tight end. And a lot of people uh, do not have a really good tight end, especially with some of the injuries going around like the aforementioned Kelsey. Fabs five there with the starts. If you are looking for a starter, considering one player or the other. And just on the, maybe, I'm curious where you would put this, like Mostert and the backfield in Miami against the Chargers who allow a boatload of rushing yards a year ago. Do you potentially elevate one of the backup running backs on your roster if you have a Dolphin simply based on the fact that the Chargers have to prove they can stop the run before you actually give them some respect in fantasy points. Now, Mostert's a good play. He, he really is. Um, Jeff Wilson's on the injured list, so he's not going to be available. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've got the rookie, Devon A. Chain, behind him, but he plays a different role. As you mentioned, the Chargers are bad against the run. Like, honestly, if I had Raheem Mostert and Dalvin Cook, I'm playing Raheem Mostert uh, this mm. week. Uh, the, the matchup is really good, and it's going to be a high-scoring game. Derrick Henry against the Saints defense. Henry, over the last couple of years, has started slow. He's a volume back. Uh, the Titans' offense has started slow uh, in, in week one matchups. Do you, uh, he's a starter, I know, but do you think big production from him against the Saints D? One thing that you don't do in week one is get cute. Uh, and Derrick Henry is a guy who you said is going to be a starter across the board. Uh, whether or not he puts up a massive stat line remains to be seen but they are going to feed him the football. We know that. And Derrick Henry is a guy, unless they're getting blown out, which I don't think that's going to be the case, he's going to get you 20-plus carries per week, and volume is king in fantasy football. Uh, and so with that said, you're going to start uh, King Henry across the board. If you've drafted a couple of quarterbacks in the middle rounds and then late rounds, maybe there's someone considering uh, the, the average QB right now. Let's get to the sits and, and remaining on your bench, Michael. Where do you start at quarterback? Not feeling good about Deshaun Watson this week. The Bengals' defense was really tough on quarterbacks last year. They gave up the fourth fewest points to the position. Uh, they were, in terms of pass attempts, uh, equating to fantasy points, they gave up the third fewest. It's a really bad matchup for Watson, and let's be honest, we didn't really see what we were hoping we would see from Watson in the second half of last year. Now, running back, I get it. I know you got to play Najee Harris. I understand that. 
but I'm not going to come out here and tell you to sit the third string running back from the Arizona Cardinals. Like I got to give you something to think about. So Najee's going against the toughest run defense in the league from last year, the Niners. It wasn't even close. They were impenetrable. So if you're in DFS, you maybe want to avoid them. If you've got really solid backfield depth, you may want to avoid them. I, I don't know that I'd play Raheem Mostert over him, but I think about it. Um, at wide receiver, Marquise Brown is on the injury report. He's questionable. If he plays, I, I, I'm not touching him because, first off, he's down 100%. Number two, uh, Joshua Dobbs is going to be the quarterback. He's a journeyman. The Cardinals are already tanking, and we haven't even played a game yet uh, in terms of the Cardinals' schedule. DJ Moore is a player that you probably have to play. Totally understand it. The matchup's not good against Green Bay. They were very tough against wide receivers. Last year, only gave up 13 touchdowns to the position. And then finally, another player, I get it. You probably got to play him, but Kyle Pitts, in two of his four career games against the Carolina Panthers, uh, he's been under five fantasy points. They gave up the 10th fewest points to tight ends last year. And between us, I, I don't know how much faith I have in Kyle Pitts in, in 2023, considering what he did or did not do last year. And there was not a lot of positive press about him in camp. Not that reporters were out there saying that he looked terrible, but he's coming off a knee injury and it, it was just very quiet around Pitts in Falcons camp. And I don't think that's a good sign. So he may have a slow start to the season. I want to get a couple of, of, of your, your general rules uh, and, and thoughts here. Uh, the flex position, just if, if I know you're in a lot of leagues, do you think you start more running backs or wide receivers in that spot? Used to be running backs. Now it's wide receivers because I play in PPR leagues and whether it's a half point or a full point, I'm typically siding with the wide receivers. In fact, that's why I drafted heavy wide receivers in the first five, six rounds, because I wanted to have two wide receivers in a flex or three wide receivers in a flex and be able to potentially start four. I'm in leagues where you could start five wide receivers. And I wanted to have every one of those spots filled by the position, whether it was three wide receivers and two flex or two wide receivers and three flexes. Now that doesn't say that you should always start a wide receiver. Raheem Mostert is a perfect example of a good flex play this week. Um, Rashad White is a good example of a potential flex play this week. There's other players at running back who are going to get volume who are going to be good flex plays. But if you're in a PPR league where the points for catches are so valuable and the league has certainly become a passing league in the last decade, I think it makes more sense to go with the wideouts. Does your tiebreaker go to projected points for said player? I got to be honest with you guys. I never look at projected points. Uh, that's all I look at. That, that's why I, I, I do, But well, uh, but I do this for a living. Right. Yeah. And so, and so the project, I need to know. And so yeah. the projected points are important. Can you set my for roster those, for me? Because <laughs> I'm doing it by straight up projected points every time. All right. Explain, explain why. Yeah. Well, first off, it, it, I go by what my gut is, what my stats tell me. And I'm not always going to agree with who's projecting points for ESPN's platform or Yahoo's platform or Sleeper's platform, as great as those people are at what they do, I'm not always going to uh, you know, agree with them. And if we all agreed, it would kind of suck, right? Yeah. It wouldn't be any fun to do these prognostications every week. So I go by what I'm looking at in the stats. And sometimes it'll be in agreement with someone's projections and sometimes it won't. I honestly don't really read or look at other people's projections or content uh, in the fantasy football community, there's a lot of people I respect. 
but I never want my opinion to be swayed by someone else. I want to give people my own opinion. I just want to feel good that my projected points for the week are more than my opponent going into the weekend. Like I just, I feel better it's a about nice the game day. Security safe <laughs> blanket to put uh, no, around. No, it is. It, it absolutely is. It, and you know, when you get that grade from your yeah. platform on how yeah. you drafted, and you get that A plus, and you're like, yes. Or you get that C, and you're like, this platform doesn't know what the hell it's talking about. Right. Like it's fun, but at the end of the day, how much does it matter? Well, it depends how many leagues you're in, I guess. Michael Fun Fabiano yeah. uh, with us, uh, SI's <laughs> fantasy football expert and analyst. We love this. We're going to have plenty to react to next week and plenty of rosters to set uh, whenever you join us next Friday. Thank you, man. Good luck, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Michael underscore Fabiano is where you follow him for more advice. And, uh, of course, uh, he knows all things projections. I was about uh, to just More than shout, just the points uh, that we're looking at. I was at. about to shout DeAndre Hopkins or Jackson Smith and Jigba to him on the way out. <laughs> because my projections say one thing, but he may say another. Left for uh, Hopkins, Michael. Raise your hand because you're not on right now. Left or right? I wonder which way he goes. He's holding up a left. Hopkins. Oh, right. Go He's with, saying uh, Hopkins. Oh, DeAndre Hopkins is where you're going. Yep. We've got a break and then headlines next.